Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're getting you ready for Thursday Night Football as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 363. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with my friend Ben Fennel, where we talk a little bit about our final thoughts from the tape study over the win against Carolina before going a little bit deeper into this primetime matchup against the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. After Chalk Talk, we will then transition to scouting report where we focus in on a player that the Bucks could really use back in the lineup on the back end of that defense and that's star safety Antoine Winfield Jr. second year player former second round pick out of Minnesota in 2020 then to close out the show in faux focus I chat with a guy who knows this Bucks team extremely well that's John Ledyard from Pewter Report I wanted to catch up with John to get his viewpoint of this matchup and he provides outstanding analysis of that team excited for you guys to get his thoughts on on this game on Thursday night. Before we get there, just a couple quick things I want to make sure we hit on. Make sure you go subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast wherever podcasts can be found. Look, as is right now, as we are sitting here uh, in early October, the Eagles are projected to have three potential top 10 picks in the 2022 NFL Draft. So, If you want to know who those players are, who could be uh, in the mix in the top 10 of the draft, you need to make sure you are subscribed to the Journey to the Draft podcast now. Get ahead of the game. A year ago at this time, we were giving you all you needed to know about Devontae Smith and Landon Dickerson and uh, and Kenny Gainwell, a lot of these players that the Eagles ended up picking. So if you want to be ahead of the curve, make sure you go subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast wherever podcasts can be found. And while you're at it, make sure you go on, jump onto our Apple podcast page for this show. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question, we will answer it. We're going to answer a great question later in this episode uh, after we get through Chalk Talk. But we got to get to that discussion first. Let's get into the meat of this conversation, talking about Eagles-Panthers and looking ahead to Thursday night with Ben Fennell and Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, let's get into it now as I welcome in Ben Fennell for Chalk Talk. Ben, uh, let's talk a little bit Eagles-Panthers and kind of put that game to bed before we transition to Thursday Night Football. Uh, I think you and I kind of shared the the big takeaway coming from watching the film on Monday, and that was just the, the awesome play of that defensive front, namely Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, those guys, uh, just outstanding once again. And it was just – I think this was an interesting kind of showcase game to see how these two guys can – complement each other, play off of each other. Uh, for anybody that's looking for those examples of, oh, like, all right, the offensive line slides one way. Now this guy gets the one-on-one. All right, what happens if they if it reverse? Now the other guy wins one-on-one. It was just one of those games where everything kind of clicked with those two guys, especially up front. Yeah, it seemed like Matt Paradis, the Panthers center, just couldn't get it right with his slide calls. It seemed like slid left, the right side one with Hargrave. He slid the other way. Uh, Cox was winning his one-on-one. But, you know, it's hard to play defense in the NFL this day and age, Fran. We talk about it a lot. The second level, it's a nightmare with the RPOs, playing on the back end with the illegal contacts and these explosive weapons on the outside. The one area I think defenses have to attack are these patchwork and shuffling offensive lines around the NFL. I think we know that from personal experience over the past couple of years here in Philadelphia. But if you want to disrupt and be a strong defensive team, it starts up front. 
it has to start up front. I'm at a loss, you know, elsewhere. So if you got ideas, you let me know after the show. But if you <laughs> want to get after an opponent, do it through the trenches. And there's a lot of subpar offensive lines. There's a lot of shuffling offensive lines. Uh, there's a lot of young offensive lines. Get after them. And to see this Philadelphia Eagles front, which we talked about all summer, Cox, Hargrave, the number of times that they, you know, tore through our own offensive line in, in training camp, but you couldn't see them finish and hit those quarterbacks in the red shirts. Now it's green lights and they are showing and producing. Uh, and it was really uh, great to see Cox show up in the stat sheet uh, because he's been impacting the game. Yep. And you notice I said stat sheet there because he's showing up on the film every week. Yep. Just doesn't always show up in the box score for fans and the sack totals and those big numbers that you want at impact players like him. But after, you know, that game on Sunday and that big win on the road, which anytime you win on the road in the NFL, that's big time. It is hard to win on the road, but it starts up front with those two. And this the impact that trickles out to Sweat and Barnett and Gennard Avery. Everybody eats when those two eat. And I'm glad that you brought that up about, uh, you know, sometimes the things you we see on film every single week, it doesn't always show up in the stat sheet. And that's kind of how I felt about the performance of the two corners, right? Obviously, the Eagles get three picks in this game, two from Darius Slay, one from Steven Nelson. And look, it's great to see those guys get their hands on the football. The Eagles create some turnovers. You know, we always hear the, the saying, you know, turnovers happen in bunches. But it's not like, oh, man, like the Eagles corners finally figured out this week. No, like this is what we've seen from them over the course of this season, right? We've seen Slay and Nelson be this kind, these kind of players. It's just now they had the opportunity to make a play on the football and they made plays on the football uh, in this game. But I don't think it's necessarily, uh, oh, wow, they, they really turned it on against the Panthers. Now let's see if they can keep it up. I think that this has just been more of the same. It's just that the production was there this week. You know, in general terms, you're either playing man or you're playing zone. It's chocolate vanilla. There's pros and cons with both. We happen to play a little zone here. Press man corners typically have a little bit more opportunities to make plays on the ball and get interceptions. Zone coverage, not as much. It's just the nature of the scheme and the philosophy. So I think just being opportunistic and getting turnovers when that ball hits your hands and finishing those plays is the name of the game with Jonathan Gannon's scheme. Whether it was here in Philly, whether it was coaching DBs last year in Indianapolis, you want to smash ball carriers, keep your eyes in the backfield. And when that ball gets thrown at you, go get it, go make a play. And I think uh, they really made the plays on the ball this past week, which they've been in position the past few weeks as well just maybe didn't finish those plays. So it was really great to see that opportunistic nature really kind of show its head. And you can make plays in this defense, just may not be as many opportunities uh, in some of those pressure man schemes. But those pressure man schemes, Fran, they're dangerous too. There's pros and cons with those as well. So don't just think, well, why don't we play man? Well, you want to get beat over the top, you know, 10 times a game like we see around the league. Go watch the Miami tape last week against Tampa. Uh, I'm sure Brian Flores wants to get out of man coverage too. Uh, something tells me the Dolphins fans might be complaining about that a little bit this Which week. Which they did change, actually. In the second half, they had to play more zone because Antonio Brown was just carving them up. Mike Evans was. They couldn't cover him. But, Mike, you know, Brian Flores is a man-to-man team. You have Xavier Howard, Brian, uh, Byron Jones. You pay top dollar to corners to cover man-to-man. It's hard to play man-to-man in this league, and I think he uh, learned that the hard way. So uh, defensively, there was plenty for us to break down and, and for you to doodle up for us to be able to post and, and use in different areas of content uh, throughout the course of the early part of this week. On the offensive side, a little bit of a struggle, right? And we talked about that earlier this week with Greg. Um, you know, just a lack of rhythm in the past game. Everybody just could not get on the same page, a number of different reasons. Uh, but then obviously when it, when it mattered late in the game, good to see Jalen Hurts and the rest of that offense kind of fight through that early game adversity 
and then come through when it mattered most. They were able to punch it in the end zone a couple times there in the fourth quarter. You know, and that's such Jalen Hurts' MO, going back to Oklahoma, Alabama. There was a lot of first, second, third quarters that didn't go great. I know you're thinking Oklahoma was a little – Alabama too. His national championship season, I saw him a handful of times in person. I distinctly remember on the road, Mississippi State, they looked like crap for three quarters. And he just clawed his way back in the fourth quarter, made huge throws on third down, under pressure in the fourth quarter. I don't want to say he's clutch or a gamer or whatever it is, but he just doesn't back down. And he's going to keep showing up. And I think on Sunday, you just got more of that. The stuff you saw on Saturdays bleeds right to Sunday with Jalen Hurts. And he's not going to, he's not going to fall down. He's not going to, you know, fold up and they kept battling. And I think handling in-game adversity is such an overrated aspect of quarterback play, the mental side of it, the confidence side of it. You can't get down on yourself, keep battling, keep fighting. And this defense giving them opportunities to come back out each time. You got to love the balance of the team. So, um, you know, it wasn't pretty. But at the end of the day, we ended up with more points than the opponent. We're on to Tampa. Yeah, and it's interesting, too. It's kind of reminiscent of one of the last times that Jalen Hurts went up against Matt Rule and Phil Snow uh, when they were at Baylor, uh, Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. Not the Big 12 title game. I'm thinking more of that regular season matchup where a little bit of an ugly first half. Baylor looks like they're on the way to a huge win, upsetting a top-five Oklahoma team. And then what happens in the second half? Jalen Hurts. Uh, slowly brings that team back and uh, really kind of puts that entire Oklahoma offense on his back. Some big time throws in that game. And I remember talking with Andy Weidel after the Eagles selected Jalen Hurts last spring. And he said that, yeah, like that was a game that really stood out to us and was like, you know, that really kind of gave it a sense of what his, what he is all about. Uh, So kind of cool to see that symmetry there going up against Phil Snow. That said, We've got this quick turnaround here for this weekend. I made it a little bit of a, it was, it was a, a, a trying week for us on, on the back end from a production standpoint uh, for Eagles game plan, right? Because you only have a couple days to try and get the show turned around. It's airing a little bit earlier than normally would. So uh, trying to get everything squeezed in. I think we're a little bit helped by the fact that so let's have a big bucks coming to town. And we all kind of know what the identity is of the bucks on offense and on defense. The, just looking at this Bucks defense going up against the Eagles offense, the thing we wanted to focus in on, especially with the issues they've got with injuries in the secondary, we know that Todd Bowles, we know they're going to blitz, right? The number one blitz team in the NFL. Uh, so just trying to find some different pressure package plays that we could kind of incorporate in and have Greg break down. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Todd Bowles is going to throw a variety of pressures at them with those athletic linebackers, but he incorporates all sorts of other uh, pressure elements. Joe Tryon, their first round rookie defensive end, Fran. A lot of times he's lined up over the slot receiver, yep. detached from the formation. Doesn't mean he's a defensive back. He's coming too, but from more depth and a different angle. They love sending the safeties around the line of scrimmage too with Mike Edwards and uh, Antoine Winfield. They fly around, they play confident, and they really make you be polished offensively with your protections with those uh, those blitzes. And not only the protections, the quarterback knowing where his hots are and outlets because you're not going to pick everything up too. So beating the blitz with your arm is also important against the Todd Bulls uh, defense, the back end rotations. It's a handful and it's a handful on a short week. And it was interesting going, going over to the other side of the football as well. Uh, obviously look, Tom Brady. We know the book on Tom Brady. You look at Bruce Arians. We know this is an aggressive downfield, right? No risk it, no biscuit style of offense. And uh, it was kind of interesting, though, as you and I were having these conversations. Well, what are we going to talk about with it? What what do we want to kind of do a fine focus on? Uh, Because sometimes that can be tough to do. Hey, let's find one play to encapsulate this topic or this offense or this defense. And you made a great point just kind of going through the numbers. Well, the Bucs have been the number one bunch team 
since Brady has gotten there. They've said they've run more bunch sets than anybody. So just kind of taking a look at what, what is it that they're able to accomplish out of those bunch sets? And why is that something that the Eagles have to watch out for in this game on Thursday night? Well, the bunch sets, you know, I was surprised to see that because I've traditionally known Bruce Arians offense and not incorporate a lot of those schematic elements to help receivers uncover, or maybe to help a quarterback create a completion, but a lot of bunch sets, which makes it really tough to get in their faces and play press man, a lot of switch, switch releasing and uh, guys kind of rubbing each other open and uh, rubbing releases and getting free access into the second and third levels of the defense. Anytime you have an Antonio Brown or a Chris Godwin or Mike Evans with five, 10 yards of head start, it's over. It's a nightmare. And I think those bunches really allow them to get some clean releases, create some confusion, and inevitably open up some windows for Tom Brady, which he knows where to go with the ball. And if you're just at a position for a second out of those bunches, which we're not going to get into, there's only so many ways to defend a bunch, friend. Right. I don't think fans really understand how basic you have to be when you get lined up in a bunch. But anyways, Tom Brady knows to go with the ball. And if you have any sort of misstep, he typically finds it. Without getting into the nitty gritty, it really is one of those things, especially if you're playing in zone coverage where, uh, all right, like you have to understand what your rules are when you have, anytime you have a, a heavy formation where it's uh, just a three by one set, if you're playing with a split safety defense with you know two safeties high, that other safety on the back side of the three by one, he's going to have eyes on that strong side and just having an understanding of where everybody is, who are the main threats, making sure that you are, are disciplined in your coverage and your role, whether you're playing deep, whether you're playing underneath, it's one of those mental games that uh, the well, Eagles we can, especially we can talk gritty. If we want to talk gritty here, yeah, we don't want to get too cheap. Knows that, that get... Cover four scheme, that backside uh, safety in quarters is keying number three from the backside. So you just said it split safety. You're going to have your eyes on number three from the backside, but playing that bunch, how many different ways are you going to play it? You could typically box exactly. it, you know, with four different defenders, you could have somebody smash the point man. Then you play in and out on the back too. It's really only three or four variations or some com combo coverage aspects to it, but it's very stressful. And that's the thing is like, and they have so many different ways that the bunch will look right. Because if you have a, a tight bunch where now that bunch shed is, is real close to the formation right off the hip of the tackle, what, who might be the number three receiver pre-snap. Well, all of a sudden this, the ball is snapped and that number one receiver that's outside the bunch, he's right. looping inside and he's now the number three. How they deploy out of the bunch or if yeah. you're a team that wants to smash the point man and jam him. All of a sudden, they notice that. Well, let's put Cameron Bray as the point man. Yeah, come smash our 250-pound tight end. It's not as easy. Right. It's uh, it's or a lot. Or Gronk or whoever they want to throw out there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, and that's the thing is that, like, uh, you have all these versatile players on offense. You know, you factor in. We saw Leonard Fournette running routes out of the backfield and, and right. catching passes in the flat last week against Miami. I mean, they're, they're just using these guys all kinds of different ways. Gio Bernard catching a Texas route for a touchdown. Uh, he's healthy now. So just uh, this offense presents a lot of challenges that the Eagles will have to be ready for. Um, and then lastly, I think just uh, looking at these numbers, uh, the, the Bucks obviously uh, ahead in a lot of categories on offense. Is there a, a number, is there a stat that stands out most to you leading into Thursday night? Well, I think what the interesting thing is Todd Bowles, the number one blitz rate in the NFL, way out in front of the number two team. Uh, I think the Miami Dolphins have maybe 40 less blitz calls than the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers thus far. But the Bucks number one as well in blitzing defensive backs. Mm. So this is a team that's not just playing and toying around with, you know, Devin White and Levante David. Believe me, they are coming. 
but look out for the corner blitzes, the slot blitzes, the safeties like to be nosy in the second level. The next thing you know, Mike Edwards is free up the gut or, you know, Anton Winfield's in the backfield or uh, whoever else they have back there, Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis and all those uh, variety of defensive backs. But uh, I had mentioned earlier, Joe Tryon, you see number nine, maybe detached over number two. That's a defensive end out there. That's 6'5", 260, and he likes the dropping coverage. He could blitz from depth. He's a really fun player, so they are deep and they are fun. Yeah, and he's not a defensive back, but Kevin Minter, who's going to be stepping in likely for uh, Levante David in this game, I just remember him from Arizona when Todd Bowles was the defense coordinator there. One of the best things he did was blitz. I mean, and that's why I think when you look at this group, uh, it's a, a really aggressive defense. As you mentioned, leading the NFL in, in terms of volume blitzing by a wide margin. So the Eagles, Jalen Hurts, they've got to expect pressure. Typically, it comes in the A-gaps uh, inside over the center, uh, but you'll see it from the edge as well. It's gonna, they're going to come from every angle. And our last note, just kind of on Bruce Arians' offense, I know you and John Ledyard touched a little bit on his offense and kind of how tough it is on quarterback play out there. Fran, I went back and looked in 2012 Bruce Arians. Where is he then? Indianapolis Colts, interim head coach, offensive coordinator. Andrew Luck at quarterback. Andrew Luck threw 23 touchdowns and 18 interceptions that year. 54% completions. That offense is so hard on the quarterback position. Tom Brady is absolutely incredible. I think we've seen the Jameis Winston 30 touchdown, 30 interception year as well, just to add and more fuel to the fire of just how hard this offense is uh, on the quarterback position. But Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, really impressive marriage. Is there a matchup in this game that you feel uh, is going to be most important for everybody to be watching at home? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the interior offensive line of the Eagles, whether it's, you know, rookie Landon Dickerson, whether it's second year Jack Driscoll, who, you know, I like over at tackle a little bit more, but they're moving some things around. I thought he had some good battles with Derek Brown last week, but they see big and Dominican Sue and Vita Vea and all sorts of exotic fronts up front. So I really am, uh, you know, focusing on the interior O-line and Dominican Sue at 34 years old, over 10,000 snaps played. He plays end, he plays tackle, he plays nose. You want to play corner, you probably go out there and play some snaps for you as well. Um, they're going to have their hands full. And, you know, Driscoll, I hope, you know, is uh, going to get his share of, of good reps. He's going to take some lumps, and I think he's going to be better for it. Yeah, it's absolutely going to be one of the bigger matchups uh, in the game. I think we look at this banged up uh, Tampa Bay secondary, you know, Richard Sherman starting at left corner, Jamel Dean at right corner, Ross Cockrell inside. Uh, We know that Devontae Smith lines up all over the formation, but even you factor in the speed across the board for the Eagles going up against these Tampa corners. That's going to be a matchup. You have to try and get some W's there, uh, especially down the field, creating some big chunks. Uh, I think that will be important for the Eagles in this game. All right, Ben, we're going to break down one final player here for this Bucks defense. We have not talked about him yet. Let's get into scouting report here and talk about second-year safety, Antoine Winfield Jr. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Ben, let's get into Antoine Winfield Jr., second-year safety out of Minnesota. He was a second-round pick a year ago. Uh, was a big part of that defensive success uh, when they went on to go win the Super Bowl last fall. Uh, so let's take a look at Winfield and what he brings to this defense. Now, the big thing, he missed last week against Miami, was in concussion protocol, trending towards playing Thursday as of this recording on Tuesday afternoon. Obviously, we don't know yet, but I still felt like it was important, especially talking big picture about the safety spots. We'll get into that in a little bit, but uh, interesting to kind of get your thoughts on Winfield when he was coming out of school. Yeah, really interesting player. A guy that we had some buzz on early, obviously from the name and the pedigree of being the son of Antoine Winfield, the former NFL corner. 
Uh, but he was 5'10", 205, ran 4'4", 5 at the combine. Not the greatest length, kind of shorter arms and shorter stature, uh, that short build, but he had thick calves, thick bubble butt, was a really kind of rocked up player and played all over the defense there, Fran. He'd play half field, single high safety. He was a slot player. He was a blitzer often. He blitzed from the second level. He blitzed from depth on the way back on that, on the back end. So you saw the physicality, the speed. But I had him listed as a cover safety through and through. His coverage skills were outstanding. Tons of ball skills, whether in man coverage, reading the quarterback's eyes in zone. Sometimes the ball just found him. Tons of tip passes to him. Tons of drop passes where a receiver literally in the bucket and just popped up right to Antoine Winfield. He's just one of those guys that just was always around the football. I'm blanking on which name I want to throw out in the NFL of another kind of ball magnet type. Um, but he was a guy that just the ball found him. There's just some guys, safeties particularly, that just happened to have that. Loved his pursuit angles. Didn't look overly fast, but I thought he was instinctive and took proper angles. My question's here right under that. Does he have enough speed for the NFL? Can he cover NFL speed? He's going to be a special teams contributor. Does he have the burst on the back end to be that, that recovery player in space in the NFL? And some of the names I'd written down, Mike Brown, that Chicago Bears safety from maybe 10, 15 years ago, another guy with a shorter build. And then maybe some guys that don't excite you, but were great NFL players. Charlie Pepper, he played for Nick Saban at Alabama. He won a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers. He played close to 10 years in the league. He was a guy that's really respected from defensive back rooms. But Antoine Winfield, his short career with the Bucks, been really, really impressive for him. It's funny. I just looking back at my notes right now. A lot of what you said obviously shows up. We had that same question about uh, his speed and his range. Even though he showed that ball hawking nature playing in the post for the Gophers, what was he going to run? He goes, he runs four four three at his pro day, and that kind of like put all that to rest. Like, all right, okay, he's got he's got the range. He ends up going uh, in the second round. But you're right. I mean, this guy was all over the field. Was really really productive. But when you talk about his build, there were two other things that really stood out to me. I thought he was obviously really instinctive. But I also loved his toughness and his willingness to be present downhill. And that's why with his build and with that last aspect, with his competitiveness, I actually wrote down Rodney McLeod, ironically enough. Uh, that was the name really? I wrote down okay. uh, on uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. I just remembered that as I went back and looked. Um, but Winfield, he was a redshirt sophomore when he came out. He had some in uh, injury deals early on in his career. So I thought he, he's, he said, you know, after this great year where I believe he won the Defensive Player of the Year Award in the Big Ten, he was first team All-American. He said, all right, let's uh, strike while the iron's hot here. Uh, and he becomes a second-round pick and, uh, like again, a staple of that defensive scheme. Here's one big thing, though, I want to hit on. And we talk about this all the time over on the Journey of the Draft podcast is when you're talking about the safety position, it's so important to have an understanding of how does this guy fit in what we want to do defensively. I watched Antoine Winfield and I said, yeah, he's got an inter interchangeable skill set. It's not that he can only do one thing, but I love this guy most in the post. And we know that Todd Bowles, one of the, you know, he, he wants to live in single high if he can. Uh, they'll play a little bit more cover two now because of the injuries uh, that they've got at corner. But we know that they, he wants to play single high. And now it's like, yeah, we can plug and play Antoine Winfield, know that he can come in and play the post. He might have more value there than he would have had for another team. And I think that's, that's important when you're talking about just a, a team building philosophy, uh, looking at especially the safety position. Like a most in the post. I might need to use that again. That's too, uh, too fitting. And Dr. Seuss there. I like that. There you go. <laughs> I like it. Now, it's, uh, I think it's, it's just an important takeaway there when talking about the safety spot. Well, Ben, uh, it's fun as always. We'll make sure to check you out uh, this week over on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We're breaking down uh, Mel Kuyper's latest big board. So you want to make sure you go check that out over on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We're dropping later this week. Ben, we will talk to you next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. 
Great stuff from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. If you've got a question, we will answer it. And Michael J. Infoman left a five-star review with a question saying, thanks again to you and Greg for your break downs. Jonathan Gannon has been criticized for not playing dime coverage and therefore mismatching linebackers with receivers. The most recent example being Eric Wilson matched up with Tyree Kill. This would definitely be a problem if the defense is playing man-to-man. However, if you're playing zone defense 90% of the time as the Eagles do, why are these supposed mismatches a problem since linebackers are covering underneath zones and therefore are not as subject to be burned by fast receivers? Theoretically, the defensive backs are covering the deep zones. So Gannon's scheme seems to make sense. What do you think? So, uh, Michael, it's a good question, and you're on the right track in terms of uh, the, your thought process. And, you know, Greg and I, we talked about it a little bit earlier this week. That's why I wanted to follow up with him when he brought that up, just to kind of get his thoughts on it. But I, I'm with you. The way I kind of look at it is this. If you're going to play a lot of zone coverage— the, you're, you're trying to get your smartest players on the field. The other th- the other thing to take into account, not even necessarily just the fact that it's zone coverage, but remember that the Eagles play a lot of split safety, and so you're playing with a little bit lighter boxes. Look, the, the reason why the Eagles uh, have been you know giving up some of these bigger plays on the ground, I don't know that that's changed if they're playing in dime versus nickel, right? I and mean, that, that was the issue when they had uh, that rough patch in week three, week four, uh, where they were giving up a lot of chunk plays on the ground. That wasn't necessarily because they were in a different personnel grouping, right? I think a, a lot has been made uh, about that. As Greg said earlier this week, uh, the second, uh, the best defense in the NFL, one of the best defenses in the NFL from a number standpoint, the Tampa Bay Bucks. They also haven't played any time this year, right? And you can go, you can go down that list. There's plenty of ways uh, to be able to win in football. Uh, and defensively, you kind of decide what are the best packages for you. You don't need a dime defense in order to be successful. And like you said, especially if you play a lot of zone. And I think that that's something uh, just to keep in mind when talking about that. I, I don't think uh, that any of the issues the Eagles are having defensively is because they don't have any snaps with six defensive backs out in the field. They just have to have better execution from the guys that are out there on any given play. So. Uh, Michael, great question. Appreciate that. Appreciate everybody that has left reviews and left questions recently over on our Apple podcast page. Again, that's the number one way to throw us your support is we're now uh, you know, hitting that one-third pole here uh, in the NFL season. But like I said, we are not done with this show. We're going to wrap it up with Faux Focus and John Ledyard talking Eagles Bucks. What's this matchup look like from the other side? It's time to find out in Faux Focus. All right, well, like I said earlier, really, really excited to be joined by John Ledyard, who you can follow on Twitter at Ledyard NFL Draft. You can follow his work over at the Pewter Report. John, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Fran. Been a long time, man, and I'm uh, glad we get this opportunity to talk a little Bucks Eagles on this short week. Yeah, no question. Obviously, a big game here, Thursday Night Football, primetime. And I'm going to start this off the way I start this segment off each week, and I'm going to ask you, uh, put on your Bruce Arians hat, all right? You're going into this matchup, and I feel like this is a pretty easy layup answer here. Biggest strength coming into this game, biggest area of confidence, you're Bruce Arians going into this matchup against the Eagles on the offensive side of the football. Well, definitely uh, Blaine Gabbard being a great backup <laughs> quarterback. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this, be this one's going to be Tom Brady for sure, not just because it's Tom Brady, but also just the way he's playing this season for him is pretty out of control. I mean, just the fact that he's put up the numbers that he has. But then it's also like when you dig in behind the numbers too, like how he's getting to those numbers is – 
kind of crazier. I mean, he is completing these big time throws at one of the highest rates in the league. He still doesn't have a turnover worthy pass this season. He's been unbelievable. One of the highest graded, highest ranked, highest statistical achievers against pressure this season. Now that he knows this offense, which in a lot of ways, in terms of being a passing aggressive offense is kind of more threatening than most of the offenses he played in in New England. Definitely when you factor in the weapons, you could see it that way. It's like unlocking another level of Brady that maybe we saw at times in New England when they had some more vertical weapons and components. I think of the Cooks years, the Brandon Cooks years and the Randy Moss years, you know, those were kind of some of the best where he was the most aggressive at quarterback. We're seeing that, but kind of on a game by game basis now. And we're seeing it with Brady having a full understanding of Tampa Bay's offense. And it's uh, the results have been just unbelievable to watch really week to week. I mean, you started covering this team on a full-time basis last year. It was a good time to, to jump in with that team. Uh, what was it like kind of seeing that evolution from him? Because I know obviously there were some struggles early on. Uh, what has it been like kind of seeing that comfort level grow in a scheme that we talked about it earlier, it's not quarterback friendly. I mean, this is a difficult scheme to operate from that position. So what was it like kind of seeing a, a veteran quarterback, one of the best, uh, certainly athletes that ever play the game, uh, to come in and have to make that evolution late in his career? Yeah, it was kind of incredible to watch just because there were a lot of moving components. It wasn't just it wasn't just Brady that was you know, kind of still acclimating to things too. It was a lot of other players, Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown. Um, there were changes that they were trying to implement to the system that was already in place that was different for a lot of other players on the team. Like Mike Evans was playing more in the slot last year than he'd ever played in the slot before in his career. So there was like things he had to learn about what hot routes looked like there and how to adjust his routes when linebackers blitz, if he was breaking the middle of the field and a lot of things he just hadn't done before. So those things kind of got swept under the rug a little bit because the, all the focus obviously was on Brady a lot, but it was really a lot of moving pieces trying to all come together on the fly. And they were so talented that they were almost coming back and beating the chiefs, despite like not knowing what they were doing half the time. And literally that chiefs game was ridiculous. I mean, they had no clue what they were doing against pressure, like for the most of the game. And they still like almost won, almost came back and won the game. And it was like, Oh, if they could just figure things out on their end, I think they could beat anybody that they play. And then they kind of did offensively, but really it was the defense that totally shocked everyone because they'd been struggling most of the second half of the year. They kind of totally shocked everyone and just changed all their tendencies for the last three games in the playoffs and threw every opposing team off as a result and ended up obviously winning the Super Bowl. But the evolution with Brady was fun to watch as well, but it just felt like a totally different player, even this, even though he was really good last year. This year, it's felt like, okay, this guy could legitimately be the best player in the league right now. All right, let's go to the other side of the football. And you're going to put your Todd Bowles hat on here. Coming into this matchup, uh, I know they've, they've got some injuries, obviously, to deal with and some stuff that are that's up in the air on that side of the ball. But what gives you the most confidence coming into this matchup on defense? Oh, I think it's still the defensive line, um, the pass rush ability that this team has. You know, We saw it a little bit more in week, week uh, four against Mac Jones and the Patriots. We saw them impact that game a little bit, still missed a couple sacks, but came away with a, with a bunch with four sacks as well. And we saw it last week, although they struggled to get Jacoby Brissett on the ground, they did finish with three sacks, but they, they could have had four or five more and they struggled to get to, to finish and get and Jacoby Brissett's tough, man. He's strong and they struggled to get him on the ground. And so I think that is one of the biggest things. If they can finish as a pass rush group in terms of tackling sacks, things like that, 
it'll start to ease up the burden a little bit on their secondary. And so that's still the group with the most potential. Jason Pierre-Paul working his way back into full health. Joe Tron Schoenke has been outstanding as a rookie. Hopefully gets to play a little bit more this week. And, and obviously Shaq Barrett's off to a great start. Vita Vea is healthy and off to a great start as well. Will Golston is having a career year. So that group, the numbers necessarily in terms of sacks weren't there the first couple of weeks, but the individual prowess combined with Todd Bowles being obviously one of the elite blitz schemers probably in, in today's NFL uh, gives me a lot of hope that if this defense is going to be able to fall back on any one thing, it's going to have to be that that part of it, the, what they can do as a pass rush group. Recording this on Tuesday afternoon, still some things up in the air from an injury standpoint, like we mentioned Uh well, we don't know about Antoine Winfield Jr. We talked about him earlier in the show, but just thoughts on how this secondary will come together and look here moving forward over the next few weeks with all the injuries to, to Davis and to Murphy Bunting uh, just across the board there in the secondary. Yeah, Davis or Murphy Bunting going to be out a, a while, I would guess, probably another three or four weeks at least for Murphy Bunting probably, and then maybe longer for Davis. Not totally sure. It does sound like he won't need surgery. So they'll be out this week, and Antoine Winfield Jr. will have to see where he's at with the concussion protocol in terms of playing on Thursday. It's going to be tight uh, for him. Levante David's not going to play with the ankle sprain. That's a huge loss. I mean, you could you could make an argument for sure that David, Davis, and, and Winfield are probably three of their best four or five defensive players and most important you could say for sure, because of what David gives them in coverage is so unique for that position. And Davis, uh, Davis in the secondary Carlton Davis, just the being really the only lockdown corner that they have uh, the rest of the guys being question marks. So now it puts, yeah, Jamel Dean and Richard Sherman will start on the outside. Ross Cocker will play in the slot. Uh, Pierre Desir will be kind of the fourth corner. They brought in Desir a couple of weeks ago. Sherman just about two weeks, two games ago now, I guess, a week and a half ago, basically, um, to, to, to try and uh, step into that Sean Murphy bunting role. Then Carlton Davis got hurt, and Sherman's all basically played every pertinent snap since he arrived in Tampa Bay. It has been some rough sledding. Uh, he, you know, he's not given up a ton. Nobody in the, in the secondary, to be honest, has given up a ton in coverage down the field. The Bucs are preventing big plays down the field through the air at a high rate, but they're giving up big plays by poor tackling underneath. So that's the number one thing for him that has to be fixed. The tackling, whether it's in terms of finishing sacks or in terms of finishing in coverage out in the open field, you even, I know you got some backups in there at defensive backs, but you got to be able to finish and get guys on the ground to stop preventing so much of this run after the catch. Is that kind of the big concern coming into this game? Like I, from a, from a Tampa Bay angle, uh, what are the, the worries coming into yeah. Thursday night? I think that's exactly it. Uh, that That is one of them, certainly in terms of being able to tackle the catch, get guys on the ground. Right now, the Bucs have, they are allowing more passing yards than any other team in the league. They're the most passed against team in the NFL right now, especially neutral situations. Philadelphia is obviously, as you know, their neutral pass rate is just through the roof over the last three weeks. So we may not see the Eagles actually run the ball at all in this game if those trends hold uh, the way that they've looked. So, yes, you have to be able to survive the pass. Right now, the Bucs, despite being thrown against all the time, their defensive average depth of target is the shallowest in the league, just past six yards past the line of scrimmage. So they are nobody's throwing the football down the field against them, basically, but they're just living underneath against the Bucs and finding a lot of success in that way. So tackling the catch is huge. And despite what I just said, reality is you've got a bunch of backups in here at corner and you've got probably if, if Winfield can't play a backup safety and Mike Edwards, who is a great player, but not known for being fleet of foot. Neither is Jordan Whitehead, uh, who's back there at safety as well. The Eagles have speed at the wide receiver position. They are going to try to get a couple deep shots and get a couple big plays, unlike uh, Miami really did, unlike New England did the week before. 
Tampa Bay really has to be ready for the big play and for teams to hunt the big play a little more than they've seen this season, because I absolutely think Philadelphia is going to try and find a way to create some splash plays on offense. No question. It's a a really important point for your part. I think if the Eagles are going to try and stay stay, uh, alive in this game, you're going to need some of those big chunk plays in the passing game. Uh, What's the last question? What's the most pivotal matchup, Uh, whether it's one-on-one battle, position group versus position group battle, what's the most important matchup here in this game on Thursday? I still think it's trying to Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave. I mean, those guys are just unbelievable. Uh, you know, Cox looked like he was getting back to last week and the way he played. And, you know, Hargrave has just been, uh, you know, obviously covered him in Pittsburgh for years and knew this was kind of where he was headed in his career. I know last year, some bumps in the road, maybe he still played well, I think. But this year it's looked like, I mean, he he's in that conversation for pushing that top tier defensive tackle group that we've seen kind of stay as the same couple players for years now. He's kind of probably the one guy that's pushing that group. And so, yeah, how does an interior of Ryan Jensen and Ali Marpet, who've been terrific this year, and then Alex Kappa, who's been solid and struggled a little bit at times, but still solid. How do they solve those guys and the, you know, the problems that they present up front. Obviously you've got Josh sweat, Ryan Kerrigan, uh, you know, Brandon Graham, obviously injured, but um, you've got a lot of guys that can impact the quarterback. We'll see what Derek Barnett's status is. And so it's probably the deepest and most versatile pass rush group. The bucks have faced so far this season, probably the, the most amount of individual talent at all four spots that they're going to see. The key to beating Tampa Bay is definitely not to blitz them. Brady shredded that, but can you get pressure with four, obviously, and impact things while still putting a lot of numbers in the secondary? That blueprint's maybe there a little bit for Philadelphia, so that's going to be the key to me, how well they handle Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave in the pass rush game. It's a, a battle of heavyweights there in the trenches because Tampa Bay is obviously the line, obviously uh, one of the better ones in the league. Well, John, really appreciate you taking some time here joining us on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for Faux Focus. Again, everybody go check out John's work over at the Pewter Report. John, we will talk to you again soon. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Great stuff there from John. And look, we talked about Eagles game plan earlier with Ben. And so as always here on this late week episode, I want to make sure I share some of the clips from the cutting room floor. Some great analysis here, some great discussion from John Clark, Mike Quick, and Ike Reese. Some clips that couldn't quite squeeze into the show on the short week, but I kept it all for you. Let's go to some of the analysis from this week's Eagles game plan. What do you think of the Tampa Bay Bucks interior defensive line? Arguably the best in football. That's yeah. why teams don't decide to run the ball against Vita Vea and Dominican Sue, William Golston. That's a lot of beef up front for an offensive line to try to move, right? And so you don't get much real estate. You don't get much movement up there. And teams often feel you're just better off trying to hit the edges of the defense and get your yardage there. But I still believe in those short yardage situations, sometimes you're going to have to just man up and put a hat on a hat. Well, you didn't talk about the second level. You got Shaq Barrett and <laughs> White, those linebackers yeah. that they just fly around. They make stops all over the football field. Yep, they're stout up front, but they've got a group of linebackers that are as good as any in football. It's hard to run the football against that defense. And with Nick Sirianni's offense now, you're seeing different ways that they can beat a team. How comfortable do you think Jalen Hurts and Nick are now, not only with your speedy receivers on the outside, but then you've got the tight ends, and then you've got running backs that both you can use. Well, you've got a 
a bunch of talented, skilled players, but it has to start up front. We talk about it all the time. The guys up front have to be able to slow down that pass rush, slow down and create space in the run game. But now you see the emergence of these young stud athletes on the outside. You know, you get a Kenny Gainwell coming out of the backfield. You get Devontae Smith and Quez Watkins and these guys. When you start to protect and the quarterback gets comfortable in the pocket, these guys can really make hay. Yeah, I talked about running the football, but make no mistake about it. The way to move the ball on this Tampa Bay defense is through the air. If you can find a way to pick up the blitzes that Todd Bowles is going to throw at you and give Jalen Hurts time, believe me, I expect another big day from this passing offense. I mean, they've been having guys dropping that secondary just about every week. They brought Richard Sherman off the streets and threw him into the starting lineup immediately. So when you have players like that yeah. over there and we got this youth on our side of the football at the receiver position, you got to take advantage of it. You're always looking for a weak area, that secondary, those cornerbacks in particular. Yeah. You can get after them. How hyped do you think the link is going to be? You've got Tom Brady coming in here, Super Bowl champion, and he could wind up having more wins in his 40s than he had in his 20s. And this could be one of his final trips yeah. to Philly. Yeah, well, let's make it a bad trip for him. Listen, we've had our experiences with Tom yeah. Brady, and so we know we've gotten the last laugh on him. So he he certainly has a warm spot in his heart for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, he can't let it go that he dropped the ball in the Super Bowl, too. He keeps exactly. Yeah. That's what I meant. I was being sarcastic yeah, yeah. with that. So why not send him out of Philadelphia with another L? I don't think we've beaten him here before. So, listen, we know he's the greatest quarterback to ever play the game, arguably the greatest football player to ever play the game. But getting a win against him also is a confidence booster. So I think we'll all be looking forward to this game. And Javon Hargrave could be big in this game because, as you know, Tom Brady doesn't like that pressure in his face. It comes from the middle of the defensive front. Well, he's not a guy that's going to move around a lot. He's certainly not going to scramble. He will slide and he'll shift in the pocket. But you're right. He hates that pressure right in his face. And that's going to be a key because once you start to get Tom to move off the spot, especially moving to his left, then you can really get to him. And Tom doesn't just have his buddies like Gronk on the team. They've got other tight ends, Brait and Howard, to worry about. Yeah, I mean, this offense isn't devoid of talent. One guy goes down, somebody steps up, right? I mean, Tom Brady, they put enough talent around him that he's going to be okay from that department. But Tom Brady's a guy who plays chess. He doesn't play checkers. And what I mean by that is you have to show him some different looks. Try sure. to confuse him. That's very difficult to do. But a veteran secondary is what you need. Guys that don't mind disguising, showing him one coverage, and at the snap of the ball, giving him a different look. That's the way you get after Tom Brady. Confuse him a little bit, force him to hold that ball, and allow that front to get at him. When I think about those Giants teams that beat him in the Super Bowl, when I think about the Eagles team, we had to win a shootout in the Super Bowl against him, typically it's because Tom Brady isn't comfortable back there in the pocket. And so part of that is your secondary doing a great job of giving him different looks. In the secondary, they have to stay plastered to yeah. the receivers on the the back end. Tom Brady, even when the offensive line is not playing at their best, he can make them look good because he gets the ball out so quickly and he understands defenses and what you're trying to do before you even do them. He's tough to defend.
I'm just curious as to when teams are going to start to double-team Javon Hargrave. <laughs> you know, he's been the most disruptive guy on this defense, and at some point, Fletcher Cox will start to get less of the double-teams and a focus more on Hargrave, and Fletcher can start to wreck the teams rather than Hargrave doing everything. I just think that Hargrave going forward is going to be a big part of the success of this football team defensively, and really will start to dictate what the offense will do because the way he's been able to wreck the fronts. And how about at safety? You now have Rodney McLeod. He's rounding into form coming off the injury with Anthony Harris, yeah. former teammates at Virginia. How important is that to have that veteran presence there at the safety position? Oh, it's big time on multiple fronts. First of all, it gives the defensive coordinator the confidence to dig more into his playbook because you have veterans back there that just understand game situations, formations, tendencies, and all those things. So the defensive coordinator can give them a little more. And the fact that they have a history of playing with each other, there's a comfort level that when you just look over there and know that your brother has your back, it just makes you want to play with that much more energy. So I'm interested to see these two continue this pairing as we go down the season because having that veteran experience is just beneficial for the whole defense. And I think Jonathan Gannon will really be more comfortable with even adding more to the defense and, you know, throwing in a few more little wrinkles to the defense because you've got that veteran presence, because you've got Rodney back there. And Rodney makes up for a lot of sins that happen up front. He's done it his entire career, coming up making stops, but most importantly, he's not going to allow balls to get behind him. Be sure to check out Eagles game plan. It goes up every week digitally or on Fridays, but obviously with the Eagles playing on Thursday night, special week, it's going up on Wednesday. And if you're local here to the Philadelphia area, Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. prime time over on NBC10. Make sure you go check it out. And as always, you can check it out over on my Twitter page or on any of the Eagles digital networks. Great stuff this week from Ben and from John Ledyard. Thanks to him and thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gator for everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.